So we are in a series called, And He Shall Be Called. And um, we, last week we talked about the idea that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And we talked about what would it be like to go to Jesus as an actual counselor. And for any of uh, the, those of us who've been to counseling, I've been to counseling, um, uh, to just kind of insert Jesus in there, we said he would be a wonderful counselor, which is why Isaiah was talking about that. And, and so the series that we're in, it, it basically comes from a section of scripture in Isaiah that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And it was a prophecy about Jesus. We're going to be looking at chapter 9, and then a little bit later, we'll be looking at uh, uh, another text in Isaiah chapter 7, which is a couple chapters before that. Um, but uh, the, the idea is this. We, we saw these uh, scriptures last week. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In other words, when Jesus comes, it's, a lot is going to change. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. And increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And then he, he pens these famous words that if you've ever been around Christmas, you, you, you got it. For, though, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Like I said last week, we were talking about uh, Jesus being a wonderful counselor. This morning, what we're going to talk about is Jesus being called or named Mighty God. Now, when our um, daughters were, when we were trying to come up with names for our daughters, we had this book called the Book of Baby Names or the Baby Book of Names or a lot of names for babies or whatever it was called. And it was, it was thick, okay? And, and the thing is, when you're trying to name your child, there's a lot of pressure because you don't want to like strap a name on them. You want it to be unique. You know, you want it to be like, like, like no other, no one's ever had this name before because you know your kid uh, is going to be unique and change the world. I mean, at least you believe that up, up until around three years old. And so, um, but like, you know, they're, they're, they're special and all this kind of stuff and you don't want to blow it because, and you don't really know what they're going to be like. So, so you go through this book of names and you're like, this is too common. Uh, and, 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 and then stuff ruins stuff. Like if you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend with a certain name, you know, you can't name them that, right? So those are all out of there. Um, if you had someone you grew up with that you hated, like you can't do that. You know, if you, you know, you know, uh, if you, um, if somebody like did something like blew up something and they're infamous, like their name goes off the table and you can't do stuff that rhymes with other stuff that's bad because you know, as they grow up, they're going to be called, you know, they're going to rhyme it. So we, that's why we didn't name any of our kids Cupid. Um, and so, uh, It'll come. Uh, and, and, and so like there's all these things and, and, like, and like some of it's out of your control. Like you could name your kids something and then like 10 years later, somebody famous does something horrible and now your kids name that. We just elected a councilman named Fat Bowie. And, and like, so he didn't know then that that's, that would be a common phrase. And so, uh, but it's not his fault, but that, that's the whole thing. But, but imagine what you'd have to go through in your mind that when you went through the baby book of names, you settled on mighty God. <laughs> like you're, you, you can't do that. You can't name your kid mighty God, 
right? Mighty Mouse, maybe, but not Mighty God. Right? I, when we uh, first moved to Garden Grove, we, uh, we were in a house in East Garden Grove, and, and there was this Starbucks on Haster. They closed it down. Um, but the guy who worked there, his name was Jesus. And, and um, like when I first met him, I'm, he, he's like, hey, my name's Jesus. And, I, and I'm like, like, Jesus? Like, I'm, I'm down with that. I get, no, no, it's Jesus. He's like, my mom was a hippie and named me Jesus. And so I'd go, I'd order coffee from Jesus. <laughs> and it always felt like praying. Because like, I, when I say Jesus, I mean Jesus. Like, like, I've been saying, like, praying to Jesus for like 32 years. And so when I'd go in, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, what's up? Jesus, I, may I please have a large coffee? Like, like, it's so weird. Every time I talk to him, I close my eyes. It's like, it's like this just bizarre feeling. Of, of, but his mom named Jesus, and actually his story is really great. And he almost came to church a couple times, which would have been awesome. I'm bringing Jesus to church. Whoa, very funny, pastor. No, I'm dead serious. I'm my friend Jesus. Uh, anyway, so, um, but, but like the, the mom had something in mind when she named him Jesus, either to, to get people off guard or whatever. And if your name's Jesus, I get all that. I'm not I'm not trying to make funny. I just, that, that's just the way it is. But, but imagine Isaiah's penning these words and he doesn't know. And he says his name will be called. And as he's just kind of in this prophetic mode, he gets wonderful counselor, which, which probably, you know, wow, that probably flowed right out. And a mighty God. He's thinking, wow, like really they're going to call him mighty God? You sure about that? You know? Now, here's what I'm going to try to do this morning, and here's what I'm not going to try to do this morning. For those of you who, who are still waiting, the verdict for you is out on the Bible. You're not sure if you should believe it. You're not sure about the whole thing. You, you like the, this faith community, but you're, you're struggling w- w- with the Bible or, or you're struggling with different parts of it or you're struggling in your faith about who, 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 who is God and all that. We're going to be talking about a topic that is really hard to get your mind around. And for you, it might be a sticking point. We're going to be talking about the deity or, 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 or the godness of Christ. So, so for you, some of your hang-up might be with the church that it's like, man, I just don't know if I can believe that Jesus was God. I get that. Now, what, we're not, what I can't tell you we're going to do is change your mind this morning. There's just, it's too huge a topic. Some people go to seminary, they spend a whole semester just on this idea of the deity of Christ. It's ginormous. So I probably won't change your mind and I don't really intend to. And if you want to get into that conversation, we can do it at another time. So, so uh, what you're going to watch me do is defend the Bible with the Bible, which for you seems intellectually dishonest. I get that. I totally understand that because you haven't made your decision, should I even believe in the Bible? But what I'm hoping to do is to show you and to show us why those who are Christ followers believe this doctrine that Jesus is God. That, that, that at least maybe you don't believe it or not, but to the Christians, for those of there who believe the Bible, who've, who've, who are following Christ, who have given our lives over to him, uh, what I want to show this morning is why we believe that Jesus is God. Christ deity, okay? That's the doctrine we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, typically what I try to do is I, I try to take every Sunday, I try to take a little bit of scripture 
um, tie it into our lives and, and uh, hopefully that we get to go into the week with something in the back of our minds of how we can grow closer to God. This morning, it's going to be a little different. We're going to go through a lot of scripture. N- not, not exhaustive to dis- exhaust this topic because I have now 29 minutes left. And so you don't, you don't cover the deity of Christ in 29 minutes, but at least hopefully it'll just whet your appetite to look and do some uh, research on your own. So let's get started. I got five things I want to talk about this morning of why we believe Jesus is God from the Bible, okay? The first is this, and we touched on it just a little bit, that Christ's deity was prophesied. That, that when, when, when um, Isaiah penned these words, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 700 years before Jesus was born. And you say, well, how do you know it was Jesus? Well, if you go in Isaiah and you go two chapters back, he says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. If you're wondering why we have this giant thing on stage uh, that looks like you bought tickets to medieval times, um, you, you, you did not. We, we share our facility with two other um, uh, faith communities, a Brazilian church um, that uh, is a great, great church and a Hispanic church. And the Brazilian church is having this big um, production. And so they asked um, about back in June, they said, hey, do you mind if we decorate the stage for Christmas? And uh, us just being laid back leadership team and permission giving as usual, we said, sure, why not? I mean, really, how big could it be? Okay, okay. <laughs> So that was our staff meeting. Yeah. And people said, well, don't you want to see it first? And I'm like, nah, nah, it'll be fine. It's Christmas time. Yeah. What are you going to do? A giant castle? I mean, come on. Yeah. Or Rapunzel's going to let down her hair? I mean, no, she didn't. So anyway, uh, so, so, so he, he, here's the thing. But what I do love about this set is that it kind of gives this juxtaposition, I don't know if they meant to do this or how you say juxtaposition in Portuguese, but of, of like what we would call strength in, in the way we see it. Like how we would define as humans, how we would define strength. And then, and then you look at this verse, a sign shall be given that, that, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, that God's timing... He's not interested in our timing, nor is he interested in meeting our expectations. And so that's what I I really love about this set, is that you've got the kind of the strength of the kingdom of the earth, and you've got this humility and awesomeness of the kingdom of heaven. So that's what uh, Isaiah is talking about. And he uses this word, Emmanuel. And you go, well, what what is Emmanuel? We just sang about it. Uh, Matthew 1.23 Uh, kind of riffs off of Isaiah, and he says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I just want to begin to open your mind just a little bit to something that's really, really hard to understand, that when Jesus was walking around Galilee, and he was talking to people, and touching them, and doing stuff, and eating, and walking, and just kind of going, it was God with us. Now again, for you skeptics, and those of you who are into science, I fully understand how hard that is to believe. But this is what we believe as followers of Christ, that Jesus 
was God with us. I like to use the term, I stole it from another pastor, God in a bod, okay? It's that he was God in a bod, walking, walking around. And it was prophesied 700 years ago. So that's the first thing. The Christ deity was prophesied. The second thing is, Christ deity was the disciples' conclusion. Now, this was really important because the disciples were with him for his three years of ministry, and, and so they would have a unique perspective of who Jesus was. They would have been with him the most when he was walking around. They would have touched him the most. Or, you know, however, you know, they would have seen him do stuff the most. And this was their conclusion. But just like you and I, not at first. There was one time they were in this boat. And uh, they're jamming around. And Jesus falls asleep in the boat. And there's these waves and wind and all this kind of stuff. And they get, they get scared. They get terrified. And so they wake Jesus up. Okay? So they're scared. All this, stuff, all this chaos all around. They wake Jesus up. And I don't know if you're married or whatever, or you have a roommate or whatever, but um, when you're woken up in the middle of the night, at least for me, it's not my best time. Okay? It's not, it's not, no laughing. Uh, it, it's not, it's not my best time. So I'm disoriented. I'm, what, you know, I'm, agitated, I guess is the word you'd use, but I was just, you know, you're woken up. Well, Jesus wakes up, wipes the sleep from his eyes, and commands the wind and the waves to stop, just like that. Stop, and they stop. Now, the conclusion the disciples come to at that first is just the question, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They didn't come jump to the conclusion, he's God. It was even hard for them. Now, what happens later, another boat scene, they're in the boat, same type of thing. Jesus isn't with them at this point. So they're trying to have to figure out themselves, well, Jesus would normally calm the water and the waves down. He's not here. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes strolling on the water. Hey, what's up, guys? You know, they think he's a ghost, which, of course, they do. And Peter says, if it's really you, command me to walk out. And he says, come. And Peter, you know the story. He comes out there and he starts like, "Ah," you know, and Jesus grabs him and says, you have little faith. Now watch what they do now. They get one step closer. They were in the boat. They worshiped him. Now this is really, when you do your own study about Christ's deity, one of the things that you're going to have to wrestle with is when Jesus was tempted, Satan said, worship me. He used the same Greek word. It means to, to just bow low, to humble yourself, to bow low. As a matter of fact, a lot of the term this is used, it's like a, a dog licking your hand, this, this act of, of submission. And Jesus says this, you shall worship the Lord your God only. That's one of the verses that Jesus uses. Now why, if that's the case, would Jesus allow himself to be worshipped? But he does. The disciples worship him. Now they make it even another step. And they say, certainly this is God's son. Okay? They get, they get closer. Now at the end of his ministry, Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. Not all the disciples have seen him. Thomas hasn't. And Thomas is like, he's probably like you and I. Like, you know what? Unless I see him, actually see and feel Jesus, God with us. Unless I can actually embrace him again and, and get, I'm not going to believe that he was raised from the dead. And Jesus does like the, one of the sweetest things. We call him Doubting Thomas, but he's just you and I. That's what we'd do. Somebody would say, oh, so-and-so was raised from the dead. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'd like to see that. You know, like, he's the same. He's us. And Jesus comes to him and says, Thomas, why don't you believe? And he puts his hands out and 
Thomas gets to touch him. You know what Thomas says about Jesus? The risen Jesus, having spent all that time with Jesus? This is what he says. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Thomas came to that conclusion. You know who else came to that conclusion? John came to that conclusion. A few decades after Jesus dies, John has to write the book of John, okay? Which is about Jesus. And what John specifically really tries to hone in on is this idea of Jesus' deity, and so, so you can imagine, John's about ready to start this book, and the Holy Spirit is working in him to write these words. Now, now again, I don't know if any of you have actually thought about what it's like to write the Bible, but a lot of people mistakenly believe that they went into some type of trance and they were just like writing. Well, you could use anybody for that. You didn't need John for that. What I believe happened is what happens anytime God moves is that John, with his personality and his perspective and all that, began to write this book and God began to use him and change his mind on things and bring stuff to his memory and all that. So John Having been with Jesus, he was the disciple Jesus loved. If anyone had been around the body of Jesus, there was no other one. As a matter of fact, at the, at the Last Supper, when we're going to have a communion this morning, John was the one that was laying his head on Jesus' chest. John knew about the physical, the bod part of Jesus. This is how John starts off his book. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John came to the conclusion that Jesus was God. He goes on, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. John came to the conclusion that Jesus ended up creating the world as God. Without him, nothing was made that, was, that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So it was prophesied that Jesus was God. The disciples came to the conclusion that Jesus was God. The third thing, Christ's deity was understood by Christ. Now, now you say, well, <laughs> that, man, you went to seminary for that? I haven't graduated yet. Anyway, uh, the, the point is a lot of people will say that Jesus didn't believe he was God. Uh, you're just making it look like he believed that or, or that's the conclusion you're coming to. But if you just hang with me for a second in this John chapter 8, you'll see that Jesus absolutely understood that he was God. If, if you have a homework assignment this week, it's this. Read John chapter 8. And you will see how difficult it is for Jesus to explain to people that he's man and God. It was hard for him. One of the best um, examples that I've heard about the Trinity, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three unique in, uh, in, uh, personalities or individuals or whatever in, wrapped in one God. Some people say it's like an egg. You have the shell, uh, you know, whatever, like, I, I prefer like a peanut M&M where you've got the hard candy coating and then the, that's kind of like whatever, the father and then Jesus is more like the milk chocolate and then the Holy Spirit's like the peanut. Um, but the best one I've heard is if you had to explain to a two-dimensional world what three dimensions is like. So imagine I'm looking out here and you guys are all paper. You know, you're just two-dimensional. And you got your little paper hands and everything. And you're just like, hey, how's it going? You know, we're paper 
people. And I'm like, oh, man, no, no. well, I'm three-dimensional. And you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And so for me, to, for me to kind of get you to know that I have to become like paper. So I come down, and I'm like paper, and I'm like, hey, I just want you to know that if I were in my like, real form, there'd be like, there'd be like, like I'm a little fatter than that, you know? And you're like, I don't understand. Show me. And I say, okay. So I appear as a paper. That's one section of me, like the front section. Then if I could be disgusting and cut myself in half, you'd see like the middle. And I'm like, now just put all that together in your mind. Your paper head would explode. You'd just be like, I don't understand. I don't know. How do you stack? Uh, you know, it doesn't work. This is what Jesus was trying to go through. But Jesus understood his own deity. It made sense to him. Let me show you what happened. So basically in John chapter 8, like I said, read the whole, we don't, we don't, I was tempted to read the whole thing this morning, but you guys would fall asleep. Uh, Read it on your own. It's awesome. The conversation Jesus has with these Pharisees, where they're coming from this strength, this, this, this perspective of, of what, what strength looks like on the earth, what the physical looks like. And Jesus is trying to explain, no, it's really more like this, but without chickens, because I don't think there were chickens there, but maybe there were. Uh, but in our manger scene, we've got chickens. Uh, but but it, it's like Jesus is trying to explain why this in this backdrop. And so what happens is he goes into the, it's, it's the Feast of Lights, and he goes into the temple, and if you could imagine just lights everywhere, candles everywhere, candelabras, because they're doing the Feast of Lights, and Jesus, in the midst of it, goes, I'm the light of the world. Not, I'm the king of the world. That was from Titanic. It's, I'm the light of the world, Okay. And, and as you can imagine, if you're a Pharisee and you've spent all year planning for the Feast of Lights, okay, and all of a sudden someone starts yelling in the middle, you're kind of frustrated. And this is what happened. And so the Pharisees come and they're trying to discredit Jesus. And this is what they say to him. They say, your testimony's not true because it's just you doing it. And we need two, you need to have two testimonies for something to be true. And Jesus says, oh, I got another testimony. My heavenly father. Okay, to that, the Pharisees reply, cuckoo, <laughs> right? Like, who believes that? Well, Jesus did. And so, so what happens is, uh, he says, I, it's not just me, it's my father. And they ask him this in verse 19, where is your father? Now, you have to understand, this is a shot at Jesus, Because everybody knew Joseph was not Jesus' dad because Mary wrote a song about it. I mean, like, it was, it was a, it was known that Jesus, the, the claim was that the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. Now, if you're at school and one of the kids is running around and it's like, that's not my dad. My dad's God. It kind of gets out, okay? Uh, and this is what was happening with Jesus. This is a shot at Jesus. Oh, who, who, who is your dad? Hey, go, go, go get your dad. So Jesus goes on. He says this. Uh, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. We're the same. Now, this is extraordinary. <laughs> the claim Jesus is making here. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Me, Father. Father, me. You get it? Now, this frustrates them, which uh, makes sense. And we'll be skipping over um, uh, a bunch of verses. But um, 
he goes on and he, he, he talks about all sorts of different things about, um, uh, and we'll, we'll see it later about I and the Father are one and all that kind of stuff. But he, he goes on and they're trying to talk about uh, Abraham, that they were really big on Abraham. And, um, and Jesus talks about, you know, I'm going away. And they're like, is he going to kill himself? And finally they ask, who are you? He says, we're, we know we're Abraham's uh, descendants. And he goes on this and he says, I'm just telling you what I've seen in the father's presence. <laughs> like, I was there. Incredible statement that Jesus would make. That Jesus was actually at one point with his heavenly father. He says, I was in the father's presence. What you're doing, you've heard from your father. And they go back and they're like, Abraham's our father. Okay. And, uh, and so they, uh, they, they go on and he, he basically says, um, you're doing the works of your own father. And they say, we're not illegitimate children like you, Jesus. It's all, they're just so frustrated. And Jesus is trying to get across. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the guy. I'm God. I'm Emmanuel. God with you. You are talking to God. He says, we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Now, now, now just for a second, just humor me. Imagine you're God. And you decide, we'll use the paper, paper thing again. You decide, I'm going to become, you know, two-dimensional to go help these people. And and they have the audacity to say, well, you're an illegitimate child. And our, our father is God himself. And you are God himself. It's at that point that you would bust into three-dimensional mode and just be like, ah, with like a fireball or like scissors and cut their little paper arms off. And they're like, what? You know, it's, it's like the whole thing. But, but this is the heart of God for us. That God had the patience to go through this conversation. And so they say, we're, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus goes on, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. And he says, why is my language not clear to you? Because our paper heads are exploding. I mean, it's hard to understand the deity of Christ. And so uh, they, they go on and um, uh, they're talking and, and some people start believing. And so Jesus is talking to them and he's talking to the Pharisees. And so finally they say this. They just go to straight out like name calling. They say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed? They just called God demon possessed. Okay. So they go on. Jesus says, really patiently, uh, I'm not possessed by a demon. <laughs> They, they go on and he says, he basically turns to the people who are believing and he says, listen, if you guys can get this, you'll never see death. Like if you guys can make the connection that I'm not all about this back here, but I'm about another kingdom, that I truly am God who's come down to save you from your sins, to be able to have a relationship with you. If you can get that, you'll never see death. Even when you die, you will not see death. And this is, the Pharisees overhear this, and this is their reply. At this they exclaim, now we know you're demon-possessed. 
Abraham died, so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus goes back. He remembers. It's like he remembers a time when he was talking to Abraham. Right? Because this is what he says about Abraham. This is just incredible. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. Like just before I came down, I was talking to That's so funny you talk about Abraham. I was up there. I was talking to Abraham. I'm like, hey, we're going to do this thing where I come down in a, you know, God in a bod is kind of a little slogan we made up. And we're gonna, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to save them from their sins. And Abraham's like, awesome. When's that? It's today. Oh, woo. This is what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees pick up on this. This is what they say. They say, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? That's the question. Now, Jesus has a whole bunch of ways that he can now straighten things out and make it clear that he's not God. Like Jesus has an opportunity right now to really set the record straight. Jesus takes this opportunity. There's a lot of tension. Everybody's listening. He's been talking to these people saying, if you believe in me, you'll never die. It's all coming up to this one thing. And so Jesus uses um, uh, this phrase very truly. And you'll see it uh, in your Bible. It might say truly, truly, or very truly. It's when Jesus is like, you need to get this. Okay? This is what he says. This is so inflammatory uh, if you were a Pharisee. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus just, out of his own mouth, called himself God. Because when Moses went to go set the captives free, the Egyptians, if you saw the movie, parts the water and all that, okay, when, when, when he asked God, he said, who am I supposed to tell him? Sent me. Like, I can't just show up and say, let me have all this, you know, the Israel slaves. I can't do that. Who, who do I say? And he said, tell him I am sent you. Now Jesus adopts that name. This is why we can call him mighty God. As a matter of fact, it was so inflammatory. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. Uh, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple uh, Grounds. Does that say grounds? Yeah, grounds. Which is just cool. He goes all ninja. I don't know if he, how he did that, but that was really awesome. Christ's deity was understood by Christ. He knew he was God. And he said as much. And that's why we believe it. The fourth thing. Christ's deity was a sticking point for the Pharisees, which we already saw. But this has been a sticking point throughout the whole thing because they understood what he meant when he talked. Like that was just one instance, but there were others. There was a time uh, in John chapter 5 uh, where, where Jesus was, um, he ended up healing somebody. He's, um, uh, uh, he, he healed him and, and he, he, he was at the, uh, let's see, was he at, yeah. Um, he moves on, John chapter 5 verse 18. For this reason, the, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, what he did was he was at Solomon's portico, which is this 
place by the, it's called the Sheep Gate. And, and uh, he shows up and he heals this guy and he takes him in your Bible. It says he told him to take his pallet and go. Like if I drove a forklift for years, it, it wasn't a pallet. Like, like Jesus didn't come in with the forklift and take him and take him away. It was just his mat. And you weren't allowed to, as far as the Pharisees say, carry your mat on the Sabbath. And so the guy's walking around with his, he's healed and he's walking around with his mat. Basically, Jesus starts messing with the Sabbath. There's only one person who can mess with the Sabbath, and that's God. And so they get upset at him, and they say, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he, was not, uh, uh, he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In John chapter 10, he says this, I and the Father are one, and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. There must have been a lot of stones everywhere because it's like, how are they just right there whenever they need him or they, maybe they carried him around? I have no idea, but this is what happens. And, and, and uh, Jesus says this, oh, uh, oh, you're going to stone me. For which good work that I did are you going to stone me for? Feeding the 5,000, helping somebody with a withered hand, raising somebody from a dead, blind person. You know, there's all these manifestations of mighty God power. Which one are you stoning them for? Now watch what they say. The Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. This was their big sticking point. They understood what he was saying. They understood this. It was prophesied before, right? The disciples came to this conclusion. Jesus taught this. He said it himself. I am. The Pharisees knew this is what he was talking about. This is why we believe in the deity, the Godship of Christ. Now, there's one final thing I want to mention. Christ's deity is essential for us. Because you think to yourself, well, what, what, what's the big deal? What, what if I don't believe he's God? What, what, you know, what, why can't I just believe he was a good teacher or whatever? Because we believe that he died for our sins. Now, now, now some people claim, well, well, Jesus was just a perfect man. He, he lived, there are some different avenues of Christianity or other tracks you can take, I guess, that believe that Jesus was just a good, a sinless man, and that if we're all sinless, we can become like Jesus, like, kind of like a God, um, if we're sinless. But the, the problem is, a sinless man can take away the sins of one man. Who can take away the sins of everybody for all eternity? Only someone who's eternal. <laughs> Only God can do that. Only, only can eternity take care of the sins for eternity. And so that's why it's essential for us to understand that when God came down, God in a bod, it was actually God who hung on the cross there. That when we take communion, we, we handle these physical elements to remind us that God so loved the world that he, he, he limited his omniscience, his omnipresence, and, and his omnipotence. He, he, he became two-dimensional after being three-dimensional to sacrifice himself for us. Watch what Colossians says. This is Paul later on. He came to the conclusion, too, that Jesus was God. He wrote this. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. As uh, Audra comes back up and we uh, finish the 
service. Um, we're going to be taking communion. And, and this idea that this is a representation of Christ's body is really important. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and uh, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Now, now think about this. When we take communion in a little bit, what, what we're doing is we're being reminded, we're tactily, we remember. That's right. God, our heavenly father, came down in bodily form for me, for my sins. Now watch. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. This is what we celebrate at communion. Now watch this. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Christ's deity is essential for us. Because when he died and he rose again, he broke the chains of sin and of death. Allows us to walk in newness of life. 